0: Welcome to the WCAPS Five podcast series. WCAPS is an online community dedicated to strengthening the leadership and professional development of women of color, specializing in the fields of peace, security, conflict transformation, and foreign policy. Join us as we unpack their valuable perspectives, learn from their strategies,
1: and grow together. Five, vision, impact,
0: voice, Good afternoon, good evening, maybe morning for some of you. Thanks, Mari, for the introduction. Again, I'm Dr. Juanita Lewis. I'm housed in Accra, Ghana. And this is a great collaboration that Mari and I were talking in a chapter chairs meeting with everyone. And we thought this would be great to um, discuss, you know, educating the diaspora and thinking of it as a way of kind of closing the gap as far as what's going on on our sides of the pond. Um, you know, with all that's going on in the world, I mean, it, it, we think that it's forever so timely. <laughs> what is of, of this of these conversations? And so uh, before we go ahead and get started um, again, this is also a soft launch of the Ghana chapter. We'll be setting up our events and you'll see more from us starting in 2021, because like the U.S., um, we are also getting ready to go through elections. And so we'll really start to kind of kick the ground, you know, hit the ground running um, in a couple months. But we'll be sending out events to everyone so that everyone can participate virtually. And of course, if you ever decide to travel to Ghana um, anytime, you know, please feel free to reach out to me. If you happen to have a layover, of course, in the U.K., you know, to reach out to the folks in in the U.K., reach out to Mari. We'll be more than happy to talk all things, you know, uh, peace and security. But also, you know, it's just a great way to network. So, you know, without further ado, we'll go ahead and get started with our panel. Um, as Mari stated, and as well as Ambassador Bonnie Jenkins, this is a three-part panel series. I'll be your moderator for today. Our next panel will be held on October 28th, around this time, and then we'll close this out on November 11th. Um, so today we have three panelists kick off our series. where We're going to be talking about curriculum and how colonialism has affected, you know, the perspectives of what we all think, you know, not only in the U.S., but abroad, right? So we're going to be talking about all over the world. We have three amazing experts that will be talking today about curricula and, you know, what they see. And especially with all that's going on now, you know, you're starting to see these narratives come out and you're starting to realize, too, that a lot of people don't know any, you know, they don't know a lot of history when it comes to People in the diaspora, and so I think this will be a great way to. It'll be a learning experience not only for myself, but I think everyone. So first we have Adriana Mond who will be speaking. We also have will be joined by Rachel Bovija as well, and that's Dr. Rachel. And then last but not least, we have Kari- we have uh, Koraya Muhammad Smith, and so we will have all of these panelists on board who will be talking today. Talking about curriculum and what we would like to do is each panelist will have about five to seven minutes to give their insight to this question. Of course, if you have any questions throughout this dialogue, please feel free to add it to the chat group um, and we'll go ahead and get started. So, I would love for each panelist to once again introduce themselves and add in your thoughts on this question How has colonialism altered our perspectives on what is being taught in the classroom? And please feel free, anyone can, any of one of the panelists can jump in and we'll go ahead and get started.
2: First way that, in my opinion, that colonialism really affects how curriculum or even just classroom um, dynamics play out is the language that is used. Uh, What language is allowed in classes, what language is in the books and in the explanations given when we're talking about different aspects of curriculum and when we're teaching our students. And then another way that I see colonialism and the negative effects that it has on curriculum is what's missing. So like you said, you know, there's a lot that people don't know about the diaspora. There's a lot that people don't know about their own countries because of the way that history, English and other subjects are structured around a Western or Eurocentric point of view. And due to that, we just, we don't have that information unless we go looking for it because it's not provided
3: to us.
0: Thank you. Is next Rachel or Karaya? Yes, I can jump in.
3: Same thing that was just mentioned. I wanted to just talk about what's missing a lot. Um, We talk a lot about just the main curriculum that everyone has in the United States, but also the hidden curriculums. And like we said, the things that are missing. I think one of the most important things is that the curriculum isn't taught in a way, just like the system in America, isn't taught in a way to make the make individuals of the diaspora successful from the beginning and from childhood. um, If you look at early childhood classrooms all the way through high school and only until you get into college. And if you choose to study, you know, African-American studies or diasporic studies, like I said, only if you choose to, do you actually start to learn about who you are, where you're from, and the impact that that had on you throughout the rest of your learning in the classroom. And again, like I said, our system isn't set up for many in the diaspora to learn about who they really are and the positive aspects about uh, where they come from or the contributions that their culture has made to society. And I think um, one of the most important things is if you don't learn about that from a very young age, but you're learning the complete opposite that has a huge impact on how you're going to think of yourself going forward, how you're going to approach learning, how you're going to approach your teachers, and ultimately maybe what you even decide to study later on and what your career choices will be. Yeah, I completely agree.
2: To that point, I actually had written down in my notes like the Benjamins that we do know. So we all know Benjamin Franklin, but people barely talk about Benjamin Banneker.
3: You can name, and and, and with that as well, as like many if you can, right, a lot of our students in America can name many, many European forefathers or, you know, contributors, um, but there are so many in the diaspora who have done the similar same things or even more or even greater things who are sacrificed themselves. If, they, if they, we showed them a picture, they would have no idea who these people were, and that's how our system is being taught. They have no idea you know and if we're in a lot of times I think in our country too if we even try to bring up people that we know about you know some of us are told that we're throwing it in someone's face or we just sound upset or angry and we're defensive rather than sharing education you know it's it's a problem if we start to talk about those things
0: and just to jump in quickly you know for each introduction, if you guys do not, well, ladies, do not mind talking about what you do and where you were based. Karaya, do you want to go first? Sure. So my name is Karaya. I currently work at, um, I work
4: in the philanthropy space and work on grants that fund different projects based uh, on the continent. And I am based here in New York City in the U.S. And I am approaching the topic today and have done a lot of research on advocacy and specifically advocacy around girls education and the perspectives and and how that is taught um, to girls both in the global north and global south.
3: I am Dr. Rachel Boveja. I am currently based in Alexandria, Virginia, but I recently completed my PhD at Indiana University in Bloomington in school of public health and global studies. And I focus on cultural health and wellness and education, uh, specifically with refugee health out of North Africa. And And then also, I focus on health in antiquity, focusing on health in southern Egypt and Nubia in antiquity. So, a lot of what I do is trying to raise awareness about how much that the diaspora we need to focus on our health needs and how the systems, the health systems in the US, may not really be great for interacting with certain cultures and the parameters in there, some of the obstacles, the lack of training, understanding and biases that go along with interacting with health professionals in the United States um, when your culture isn't supported or understood. And how that can impact
0: long-term health outcomes and things like that. That is a whole topic, one is one. (laughs) So
2: hi, I'm Adriana Mon. I am a recent graduate of the International Peace and Conflict Resolution Master's Program at Arcadia University. And I currently work with the American Friends Service Committee here in Philadelphia, where I work in the International Program Unit, where we are focusing now shifting to virtual. But we focus on providing space for actors in the global South, to speak with and to engage with the leaders and other people groups that are relevant to changing the conversations to affecting peace and security in the regions and things of that nature. I am coming at this topic from more of a multicultural lens and what we can do to change how colonialism is impacting our students and actually just how how the power structure there impacts every step we take. I think it is Papa Pope from Scandal who said it best. You, we have to work five times harder to get half of what they have. And part of that is because the language that we use is not the dominant language. It's because um, like Rachel was saying, the backgrounds that we have, be you Black in America, Asian in America, or any other just not Western European, background in America, you have to work harder because the systems are not created for you. So how do we shift the way that systems, especially education, which should be much more multicultural than it is, given the connectivity in the world, how do we ensure that we're providing spaces for people to bring themselves authentically into classrooms, into workspaces, into Zoom spaces, and to be received with respect and with their experiences and with their knowledge being held to the same standard as the textbook that is written by
0: some random white dude. Thank you, ladies, for the introduction. And would I'd love to get your thoughts on the question that was asked in the beginning.
4: Yeah, so I think... I am approaching the the question around how colonialism has impacted our curriculum from more of an I guess outside of the classroom context and I guess what you would necessarily call it, but an in an extracurricular kind of way. And so I've done a lot of research on what we call girl empowerment organizations, who you'll mainly see on high school or college campuses here in the US, and they are organizations that work to kind of activate girls on college campuses to raise awareness and funds for girls in the global South and in issues related to them. So, and mainly girls education. And just from my experience and being in one of those organizations and just how the approach and again, the language which has been pointed out before didn't necessarily feel feel correct. It didn't feel like a way that I would explain my, my counterparts and my peers in the global South. Um, and so kind of the whole rhetoric of the girl effect how it seems as though it's something that's really empowering and then the idea of that, you know, when you invest in a girl, she um, returns so much more to her community and family and society um, as opposed to investing in, in any other kind of member. seems empowering, but it, it actually is a lot of responsibility that I think is not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily belong to them. And then kind of just the, the framing and the rhetoric around them, them being an investment. It's not a way I, I feel like I would describe. Um, another person. And so I've done a lot of uh, research on how that rhetoric is actually really harmful. And it's a harmful way to um, introduce, especially young women and on majority of college campuses, young white women to advocacy work and framing it from that perspective is is can do a lot more harm than good. And then also on the flip side, wondering where girls and and young women like me fit into that rhetoric. Um, And so African-American women here in the U.S. don't necessarily fit into that kind of pipeline and and approach um, that that the girl effect presents. And and we're kind of left out, kind of have a foot on both sides of that exchange. And so how um, are we being looked over and underutilized and not included? In kind of the conversation in, in the curriculum around advocacy for women's rights.
3: I think if I could also respond to what you just said, Mariah I the image issue, right? I think that may be a part of it, is that in this country, we rarely see ourselves. Well, we start to, we're starting to now, right? But growing up in speaking of like classroom in the curriculum, whether it was a textbook, a lot of leaders they were if they weren't if they weren't already women to begin with they weren't black women you know, and so when we talk about bringing people to the table, like you said, and making sure, you know, that's the whole thing, diversity versus inclusion. It's one thing to, you know, have people who look a certain way at the table, but not include their voices. It's one thing to say that we live in a country that's multicultural and diverse, but you never see anyone who looks like you and neither does anyone else. And I think that's what kind of points, to, you know it's important for us to see that but if no one else is seeing people who look like us they don't turn to us for these pipelines
2: yeah and i think building off of that imagery is where can, where else can you look so you know bollywood and k-dramas and i watch turkish dramas and, and people watch anime so there are so many different avenues outside of education And leadership roles within the education sphere where people of different ethnicities and nationalities and racial backgrounds can see themselves. But African media is not a very big thing in America. And you really only get it if you live close to a community of immigrants from an African country or immigrants who came from the Caribbean. If you're just in a Black household, you get brown sugar, you get soul food. And and that's what you see and like you see them in these roles and in these jobs where it's like oh I've never thought about that you know I've never thought yes the Turkish drama <laughs> I've never thought about you know being a producer in this way I've never thought about working in HR which for me a conversation that I had once we received the questions was I asked some of my friends from Y20 who are from different countries how colonialism has affected their education system and one of the responses was that you know it's a lot less critical thinking. It's very rote in memory, which led me to question what is the purpose of education, especially public education, because we have to look at what levels of education there are. And in the States, we have public, we have charter, then you have the religious institutions, and then you have private schools and boarding schools that uh, typically, and this is maybe a gross generalization, may have one to two Black students in it, one to two Asian students, one to two Indian. And the list goes on and on because of what we have access to. So most Black students post-integration are going into schools that are public, into schools that are public and mostly white people in areas of power. And if they're not white, they are white passing or they're Asian. And so that reignites the idea of the model minority and creates some tension there around what it means to be Black and Asian in these spaces together. And so there are like so many different levels to what it looks like in our classrooms in America, but also what it looks like in our classrooms in the world. So in my effort to do research for this, I Googled education systems. And I guess because I'm in the U.S., Google just provided me with U.S. education systems. It told me nothing else. I didn't even get like England. I was like, okay, I was looking for world education systems, but, you know, just wanted to see what the differences were. So with their probably aren't many, but, but yeah, so I'm going to stop talking and
4: allow someone else to respond. Oh yeah, I think you brought up a really um, interesting point, even just like preparing for this panel and, and kind of thinking about colonialism outside of my specific research. Um, I think one of the kind of like kind of concepts that came up for me is also even how we approach education and teaching overall, and if it is done in a way, um, because you have a right to learn and you know it's it's in your best interest to learn and to grow and and to know things or are we educating people as a means to get them to perform in a certain way and to kind of fit into our capitalistic society so even in that sense education maybe as we all know it is still colonialized even if we are bringing in more examples and and more diversity to it the the approach and and the purpose kind of also is is influenced by colonialism as well
3: that the structure is still the same, even if, yeah, absolutely. I was, what you both were saying about just the research before this. I was thinking about all my education courses in grad school and how they used to ask us all the time, what what are the different types of education? And I come from an incredibly diverse family. I mean, we really look like the United Nations and it's, the craziest thing. But I remember when I was a child, I was reading my textbook and they were talking about um, how like Native Americans voluntarily went West. And my grandfather, who's like part Shawnee, he was like, no, that's not what happened. And so one of the things I brought up, and I grew up in Southern California, just for some transparency, in a place where the majority of the students in my school were Arab. And then you had Asian, and then you had some Black, then Mexican, and then white. That's what the nature of my school looked like. And so everyone, basically, that I grew up with, their parents were immigrants. Whether they were, like, well-off or not, everyone was immigrants. And one of the things that we talked about a lot, especially in grad school, and what are the different types of education that a lot of cultures, I would, I don't want to say it's outside of the Black culture, because I do know that there's a lot of that arising now, have their own cultural education outside of the school, the formal schooling system. So even within that structure that we're all put into, into these public schools, I can think about all kinds of cultures in the United States that... Their families force them to have cultural education on the weekends. You are learning the language of where you're from. You are learning the traditions of where you're from. You are learning very positive things about who you are and where you come from from a very young age first, before you enter into the colonialized school public school system. So, I feel like there's that contrast too of you know what colonialism has done in in curricula is that you. Uh, I think we've, we've said a couple of times, I forget his name. He's also from the UK. We always have to take two sets of notes, you know, in the classroom. And I feel like we're taking like four or five, depending on the different types of education we're seeing in the United States.
2: Yeah. I, I agree with that. I was talking to a friend from Morocco, and Morocco was colonized by France, as we all know. And so I was like, okay, how has the colonization like how, how affected Morocco, especially as this is the second wave of colonialization to hit Morocco? Because as we all know, sorry, there was a net, before the Arabs were in Northern Africa, Africans were in Northern Africa, specifically the Amazigh people. So those two waves of colonialization had a double effect. So you have the Arab wave that has been there for hundreds of years, and is pretty entrenched. And everyone's like, okay, we study Arab Arabic, we study um, Islam, because that is a study in a way that Christianity in the US is not. We study so many different things that, like you said, are attached to our culture and are attached to our religion outside of school. And then On top of that, you had the French education system that was placed on the Moroccan people. And so with that, going back to language, came a change in what is acceptable. And so you were no longer able to speak Darija, which is the Moroccan dialect of Arabic, in the classroom Mm -hmm. because the modus operandi was French. You're supposed to learn in French. If you can't explain this concept to me in French, you're doing something wrong. And now that shifted, and and so I'm gonna butcher this person's name. So please charge it to my head and not my heart. Ngogo gojiwa uh, thiongo who wrote about the Berlin Wall, and that you know first they came in with their bullets, but after the bullets left, there was the chalkboard and the classroom, which is like a paraphrase of it. But I was like, that is so true. Because once we decided to stop physically harming you, we just degraded your culture to the point that you don't wanna know about it. And not only do you not wanna know about it, you think that it is more valuable to know about my culture, to know about my language, and to know about what I have to teach you and what I can impart into your country that may not have anything to do with the history that can be found there the important historical figures that are there, and the way that math and science and things were taught before we came in. One of the comments asked, "What is this about?" And so we're we're talking about colonialism, and the this question is about the perspectives and how colonialism has affected the way that we see the classroom specifically. And so we've kind of been and. You know, jump in, correct me if I'm wrong. We've been jumping through the lenses through which we're coming at this conversation, which is different for all of us given our backgrounds, and also a bit of international play because colonialism is not just an American thing, it is everywhere. Honestly, I don't know that I would say in the way that other countries have been colonized and that that has affected their systems. I don't know that America, in and of itself, the country, has been colonized so much as the majority population at one point and the dominant culture has then tried to colonize everyone beneath them. And so it's it's very interesting here. And I'm going to pull back and stop talking now.
3: I wanted to say too, just because you brought up that whole, the whole international part of it is in the, in the dominant culture. So first, the dominant culture colonizing you know, the minority cultures. It's interesting when we talked about the different schools, private schools and boarding schools are taught a whole lot more about our cultures than we're taught in public schools. So when you bring up like the dominant culture, it's almost like they're taught, like this is the truth about them. You should know this, but just know that you are it's almost like they're learning a different structure. And I have a few friends who went to private school who are like, oh yeah, we know more about, you know, they'll try to school us, (laughs) about our culture based off of what they learn, but they're learning it for a different reason. You know, it's almost for that continued domination in a sense. And I think one of the most harmful, I mean, a lot of it's incredibly harmful, of course, but one of the most harmful parts about it is those who are not in that position to learn the truth and learn all these contributions and these wonderful things are taught negative things. And so they're taught, don't go back to Africa, don't go to the Caribbean, don't go to any of these places because there's sickness, there's illness, there's war, there's famine, there's, you're just not, it's not great, you don't want to go back there. These are horrible places. And I have worked a lot in museums and I have a love-hate relationship with museums, depending on how they acquired their artifacts. (laughs) So one of the things that I always tell people, I said, if you want to learn about Africa, you need to go to Africa. I have said that so many times. I was like, you need to go see for yourself. And that to me is a part of education too, that is not taught in the Black and the diasporic communities, is traveling and the opportunities to travel Right. You know, and again, with that whole cultural thing and a lot of these cultural education courses that we were talking about other um, cultures may have in the United States, they are encouraged to go back to their homelands, their motherlands as a part of that culture. And we are not. It is so important that we do so. and, And it is transformative. And I think that's something that. Karaya, like you were talking about, like just getting in those spaces where we are advocating for, especially women and girls, because we, we provide a lot to our families, right? We're like the gateway to a lot of the information that goes to our families. So, yeah,
0: I don't know. I kind of went
3: like three tangents. So
0: <laughs> go ahead and jump in real quick, because I'm looking at the time and we're going to be, I want to make sure everyone has enough time in the audience well, virtually to be able to ask questions. I think. You know, the three of you hit on some very important points as far as how are we able to be included in this space, into this pipeline. When it comes to you know making the the decisions, but also the educating others, as Karaya has mentioned. You know, also talking about you know also how we're able to learn and without the you know outside of books. You know, that's through traveling. And that's, you know, educating yourself. And so one thing I would like to even add on as far as with the conversation before we open it up to questioning is what other resources are So are there? So, Rachel, you pointed out, you know, there are other cultures who have these schools, right? And I do know about. It. I have a good friend of mine who went to Farsi school. She's Persian. So she went to Farsi school, you know, and, and I, I think within some West African communities, within you know, the U.S., um, there's these opportunities where you are able to, you know, be around people in the community that look like you are at least from your parents' generation. I think, you know, African-Americans, there was something like that. It's, you know, the government has probably tried to bomb it 3,000 times. Anyway, but the thing is, what other resources can people use? And I would love to hear from each of you that you can find out this information. And I'll start with Kariah, because I would also love to add in too, is that when we're talking about colonialism, right, we always add in the patriarchy element. It's always about what men have done, not really what much, what women have done. And what do you think are the resources that we can use to also learn about what women are doing, not only in the U.S., but also abroad? Because we hear the negative things about Winnie Mandela, but we don't necessarily hear about the positive things. So we'd love to, you know, start with Kariah, then we'll we'll work our way down and then we'll open up we'll open up the floor for other questioning to uh, round this out.
4: Yeah, I would love to start out, and I think the big the big kind of uh, theme from my research and my experience is that it's just it's very um, I don't even know what the word is, but but to say that women and girls are the key to kind of fixing a lot of these issues in in global poverty is kind of crazy when it, it is the result of, of a system that has been built by men and built by the patriarchy. And so in thinking um, if we're going to, to label them as kind of the, the key kind of element there, but not necessarily the speaking directly to them or hearing from them, that's extremely problematic. I mean I and I think just in in anything, if you are supposed to be getting a perspective or working with a specific population or working with women, and the only people that you are talking to are men or people that don't look like the women that you are, you know, supposed to be learning about, then that's kind of a red, that's a red flag right there. Um, and I think the best way is to to try to figure out how to go to the source. And so if you are going to you're going to work with anyone, you should be working directly with them and speaking directly to them um, and getting their perspective. Because I think uh, so much can get lost in translation and how we think and, and how even, and I have been trained to think about these things have been in a very colonialist way, even though I am a Black person and person of color. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's a constant unlearning for me as well and reminding yourself of that. And I think too, uh, and it, wanting to be very transparent, I, I have this conversation with my mom a lot. Uh, because she was uh, raised in Detroit, Michigan. She was uh, raised by her mother, who was part of the Nation of Islam. So she had a whole kind of like very intense, um, like informal cultural education to her Blackness and and what that meant um, in that context. And I didn't grow up that way. And so I go back and forth with her all the time because I'm like, I'm learning new things and like explaining like, oh my gosh, like this is how it's presenting itself. And she's like, yeah, I know. I'm like, yeah, but I wasn't, you know, I didn't get that like nation of Islam, you know, kind of like uh, perspective on it. And so it's also been a journey for me trying to figure out um, how to learn about these things and come across them. Because I, I don't, this is not something I learned about in school. And it's also not something culturally that I'm getting in the same way as, as people, you know, my, my ancestors, people who have before. Um, and so it's a, just a, once I've been like awakened to it, it's it's been a lot of just talking talking to other people with different life experiences and, and more experiences than me and and just like I, that's been the, the best way for me to kind of learn um and just gain new perspective because i i know that mine is colored by a lot of of these s- systems that don't really have my best interests at heart
0: thank you Karai. i appreciate your perspective and i think it's i think it's very important so i this, i think that's a great way to segue into the other two panelists i also I have a family for whose family member who grew up in the Nation of Islam, so I understand <laughs> we have something in common. So ladies, anything else you wanna add? What resources would you, do you think that we should think about having in our wheelhouse when it comes to educating ourselves, not only on the American context, but also abroad? Yeah, this, I think this is wonderful. And Karai,
3: I just wanna say you, what you said was perfect and just the whole being a lifestyle to continue unlearning. And checking ourselves in the sense that like, you know, making sure we're understanding each day, you know, the things that are coming at us, like you said, that aren't for our best interest. I thought that was amazing what you just said. And yeah, well, first of all, I just have to give a shout out to what what you, what you all are doing this is a great resource. I know it's because of COVID that we are even allowed to attend so many webinars and things like this that we wouldn't have been able to in the future, but having opportunities like this to talk to one another and share experiences across the world is huge. Um, I think we could um, do the same thing with books and things like that. I'm involved with a lot of universities and like I said, in museums and things like that, that I can share information. There's always a lot of information that it seems like you have to search for, not always on display. But because of the work that I do, I can share some links with everyone about, like, if you want to look into certain books, look into other speaker series and things like that that are going on similar to this, so we can continue to share with each other and learn with each other. I think with Karai said, it's so important, it's talking to each other, really being honest and authentic in what our experiences are, and really just sharing and continuing to unlearn, like they said, at the end of higher learning. I've been thinking about that movie a lot
0: lately. <laughs> yeah, and I would even also quickly add, too, making sure that you share with, not only with other Americans, but also people from who are or part of the diaspora. I mean, I live in Ghana, and there's a lot of interesting, uh, you know, misconceptions that People have about Black Americans and on the, you know, living in the continent. It's very interesting. Um, So, you know, again, with this particular panel, not just the U.S., but it's all over. And within the continent. Yep. And within the continent. Yep. North versus South versus West. We all have their own, you know, everyone has something. So I think, you know, to both of your points, yeah, also, you know, connecting this way as well. And Adriana, you'll be the person who'll be wrapping us up for this, this question.
2: Awesome. So one of the great things kind of building on what Rachel was saying about COVID is that we all have ample amount of time to just be at home on the computer and YouTube is your friend. Independent content creators and the materials that they produce, they look at so many different topics that are not traditionally covered either in K to 12 or sometimes even in college in depth in those general U.S. history, world history classes. So I am on YouTube all of the time looking at all of the videos about all of the things because it's it's a great resource and also books like Rachel was saying. And to Kariah's point about, you know, not investing in things or giving um space to things that are not looking out for your good. The other part of that is just accepting that your version of black and your version of whatever ethnicity or race or you are that is just as valid like I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that all of us have had experiences where we've been called an Oreo or where we had to code switch or something along those lines and so knowing that that is okay because we have to maneuver in this world but also questioning why A you think that speaking standard English is not a black thing but also B why do I have to code switch so Calling those things into question, looking for, looking for independent content creators who are also calling these things into question, and series like these where you're able to just have a conversation about it, and where you know you're not shamed for not knowing. There are so many things that we just don't know, and whether it's because we didn't, we weren't taught, we hadn't looked for it, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. There's no shame in not knowing. There is shame in not wanting to find out because you're afraid of being ridiculed. And so we just have to treat each other with kindness as we all continue unlearning and learning different things throughout our journeys.
0: Thank you so much for that, especially during this cancel culture. I think you know that's something that you know, people forget to mention. And thank you, Karaya, for adding that in. Um, that's actually on my, on my list as well. We'll open up the floor to questions. If anyone has any, uh, please take yourself off mute. If you do not want to uh, speak, you can always throw your question into the chat. And also if there's any books that someone may know of, you know, also throw it into the chat as well. Mari and I are planning on building out a resource list so that everyone can go back to the conversations that will be discussed during this panel series. And, you know, It's an opportunity for you to learn, not to be ridiculed. I just went to a book festival this past weekend. I bought a book called Through a a Collection of Different Authors. So it's in English and French. And it's by Bakwa Magazine. And it's talking about taxi drivers who drive us nowhere and other travel stories. This is the book, Shameless Pluck. And, you know, it's looking at the experiences of and how to travel as an African within the continents, um, actually even within the world. So I'll throw that in the chat as well. And we'll go ahead and open the floor. So, but I have a question for
2: mostly Rachel, because you know, if there's not one in the chat, because you have been in the education field up to your doctorate and may in the future go back to school. Has it been your experience? And, and I feel like we all can answer this because we've all been in academic spheres. Has it been your experience that textbook knowledge has been valued above the lived experience that you shared from a cultural perspective?
3: Sorry about that. Adriana, would you please repeat that? I was typing in my book.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no problem, shameless plugs. But so the question was, has it been your experience that textbook knowledge, so what is written in the book, has been valued above your own lived experience?
3: Oh, absolutely. Um, so, Oh gosh. I mean, I think throughout my education, one of the reasons I wanted to get a PhD was because I half half of it was because I felt like I had to. It was the only way I was going to get people to understand and hear the perspective of someone like me who grew up with different types of a different type of culture, education, and how valuable that can be in my experience in the classroom. And so I've of course been through the education system from a young girl through PhD, but I've also taught from early childhood through college as well. And I've taught in public schools and private schools and just seen all kinds of differences. And one of the things that remained the same to me is the private schools I've seen, they had more cultural, uh, multicultural education than the public schools did. Of course, they had the money to pay for that. And, you know, a lot of the students in the particular private schools I were in, I was in, there's uh, parents were immigrants. So they came from a lot of different cultural backgrounds. So I think it depends where you are and what type of school setting you're in. If you are the textbook, what type of textbooks you're reading and the type of teachers you have and what your school mission is, that makes a huge, huge difference. Unfortunately. So I went to Indiana University in Bloomington, which I don't, People say Bloomington is the blue dot that's in Indiana. So for those, everyone in politics, it's the one liberal outside of uh, Gary, Indiana, the only other liberal place in the state of Indiana. And um, but right outside of those borders is where a part of the KKK started decades ago. So you have the university system where you have all of these people from all over the world trying to teach about critical race theory and things like that. But then as soon as you step outside the borders, you're constantly accosted with in words and things like I mean it's it's quite a qu- contrast that being said in a university that tries to do so much to raise awareness about diversity multicultural health issues we're still not at the table enough our diversity centers aren't they're still paid the least, they're valued the least, and they're only allowed to promote safe whatever that means for the university things that you know aren't going to cripple the funding but still give an image that they're supporting diversity. And so the one thing about doing the PhD is you are supposed to do your own research, right? This is all about your research and what you are supposed to become an expert in. And so that was my opportunity to not only share about the experiences that myself and so many others have had and the impact that education has had on us, but also um, to back that up in science and evidence that this is an issue, that this is something that needs to be studied. And with that, just really quickly, I'll wrap this up. One of the things that I have had happen to me, and I don't know if this is an experience of anyone else on the panel, is even all the way through my PhD program, I was treated as someone who shouldn't strive to accomplish a lot. So just stay in this class, Uh, You don't need to take that advanced class. So, you know, it's that conversation about affirmative action. And if you're a part of the quota and what happens when you get into the school, people think that, you know, you already have like this imposter syndrome, right? Of like, are you, did you get here because you're smart or because you're supposed to be here? But the issue of when you get in that this system is almost set up to keep you from learning as much as you can so that you can, when you leave, do things like this and speak about subjects like this. And so, and that happened, unfortunately, through all the way through the PhD program, I had to fight to learn and have access to different learning and educational opportunities. So, textbook is always favored because a lot, especially in college, they're usually by the professors that you're taking the class
4: in and they want the money. So, (laughs) that's a big thing.
0: I've
2: been very blessed that that is thankfully not the story that I've had. And I think part of it is who I went to school with and being seen as that token Black person, right? So there's two sides to the coin. There is the side where they're telling you, mm, my darling, you might want sit, to sit this one out. But there's the other side where they're like, oh my goodness, you're so much better than your peers. You should be doing more. And so I was always pushed to do more and pushed to do more in high school To the point when I got to college, I was like, I don't want to do anything. (laughs) And on top of not wanting to do anything, I didn't even know where to access things because there was no one in my family who could say, Oh, so when I went to school, X, Y, and Z were here. So, you know, you figure it out through professors that are helpful, through roommates if they feel the urge to share with you. And then my master's program was absolutely amazing. And that if we said that we wanted to do it, or we wanted to try, or we wanted something extra from the program, they endeavored to make that happen. And if they couldn't make that happen, they were like, "Turn left at the light, and if you make another right at the stop sign, you'll be where you can find this thing. So find it." And so that does that does that double side. You're either the black girl, or the black woman, or the black man, or the black boy, or the, you know the black trans person, non cisgender who is the exception to the rule. And so everything is thrown your way, which you still question because am I getting it because I'm actually working hard and I'm intelligent or am I getting it because you have a di- diversity quota to feel and you think that I am that model person that can do that. And the other side as well, okay, we let you in, but that does not mean that we actually want you here. And so how, how, what do we do and how do we structure, like how do we structure our lives so that we're weaving in and out of these things but also not being relegated to positions that they want us to be in yeah. and are following the dreams that we have for
3: ourselves. Yeah. I would say too, just I, we need to let other people talk. I know that, <laughs> but what you experienced in the school is what I experienced for my family. So that was very interesting for me is that everything they were telling you and encouraging you and pushing you to do came from my family versus the school. So that's very mm-hmm. interesting.
2: Oh, I got it there, too. Okay.
0: We'll go ahead and open it up for One last question. We have about five more minutes. So we have a few folks have added books in, in the chat. There is one called, I'm going to write it up here. It's called The Darker Nations, and it talks about um, Black and brown countries. It's a people's history of the third world. And it looks at what happens with these countries after they receive their independence. You know how they were basically stuck between a rock and a hard place. You had to choose between uh, communism or imperialism because of the, you know, the holes of the West. So I'll also add that in, too. And anyone else have any questions before I give the panelists the opportunity to add in their final thoughts? Mari, anyone slide into your inbox while we were talking or no?
2: Lots of book suggestions those are the ones and they all
4: got
0: added on the chat okay so karaya we'll go ahead and start with you for final thoughts
4: yeah i am really grateful for wcaps um, uk and ghana for putting this together um, I feel like rarely is there an opportunity to talk about colonialism and education. So when I saw this, I was like, oh, this is going to be great because this is what I think about all the time but no one asks about. So I'm really glad to have been able to have this conversation with you all. And I think the main takeaway that, again, going back to, to the learning and unlearning, I think that that's those are the two things that we all have to, to do and kind of commit to doing for forever, and I think we've seen, especially here in the U.S. this summer, I think a lot of people, and I think a lot of white people, kind of recognize that, and that this isn't something that you you don't just come to a state of being about all of this, but these systems and these things that exist around us are going to take constant pressure and constant thought and constant learning and unlearning, um, and being able to do that with a community uh, makes it a bit easier, and having people to talk to about you know these. The, all the contexts and situations that were being put in. So I'm really grateful for the conversation today and, and I'm always open to to continue it and share the resources that I come across and, and welcome those resources as well.
0: Thank you. Rachel? Yeah,
3: I just wanna thank all of you for doing this and being here. Um, Juanita and Mari, our panelists and all the participants, I'm always one to say that, like, you you never know who's listening to you, who's watching you. And we talked about, uh, Karaya said, you know, getting us out there. There are so many young women, young girls looking at us right now. And I just commend all of you for all the strength and courage that you have to continue with this work. And thank you. Even when we can't see what you're doing when you're working late at night and, you know, all the things you're doing. Thank you for what you do.
2: Yeah, well, that just leaves me. So my, (laughs) my takeaways are, A, I could be doing more. Outside of learning and unlearning personally, I have several nieces and cousins who are under the age of 12 who I could be taking the time out of my day, especially during corona when I'm not driving anywhere, to teach They are all accessible. They are all looking at slime videos on YouTube when they could be learning about their history, about the contributions that are made, and about things that'll help them figure out what directions they want to take in life. So this was this was amazing. Thank you, Rachel and Karaya for being awesome. And thank you, Anita and Mari, for hosting. I'm gonna write down these last few book recommendations. So Thanks.
0: Well, thank you again, ladies. I see also someone recommended Ivan von Sertima as they came before Columbus. I think that was part of everybody's HBCU experience. If you went to a historically black college, because that was the first thing I learned in my freshman orientation class when I went to St. Augustine's college, now university. So um, a great book as well talks about Hannibal, if memory serves me right. Anywho, again, uh, we will be sending out a resource list of all the suggestions that everyone made in the chat. We are so thankful for everyone coming. We look forward to seeing you next week. Uh, we'll talk about the misconceptions uh, as well as the perception of what it means to be of liberation. And Mari will be moderating that panel um, and talking about African leaders. So looking at Patrice Lamumba, looking at Thomas, you know, Sankara. Uh, we'll get into that. Uh, anything else you want to add, Mari, before we close?
3: No, thank you everyone so much for coming to our first panel. We hope you will continue to join us for the next few weeks. This was a great place for us
1: to start as we continue to look at our education. So we really appreciate all of you.
4: Thanks again, everybody.
1: Hi, my name is Ambassador Bonnie Jenkins, and I am the founder and executive director of WCAPS. And while I cannot be there at the event, I certainly wanted to say congratulations This is wonderful that we have a new chapter in Ghana. Excellent. I want to thank Juanita Lewis for seeing this through. We had many conversations about this new chapter and I'm so glad that it's being launched. When I started WCAPS, I had always hoped that we would go beyond the US, actually beyond Washington DC metro area. So now we have five chapters, New York and uh, California and outside the U.S., in the U.K., in France, and now in Ghana. So I am so thrilled as I watch this organization continue to grow and expand to various parts of the U.S. and the world. I hope it continues. And I just want to say thank you so much, Juanita, and all of your colleagues uh, in our new Ghana chapter who are getting this launched, and also Marie Faines and everyone in the U.K. chapter for hosting these events with Ghana, all of which will be amazing. And I'm glad that you will be recording this because certainly want to post this on our website. And we want everyone who could not be here today uh, to be able to listen in. And we also look forward to the the next two uh, events that are part of this series. So thank you once again, good luck. I know it'll be an amazing program and I'll be talking with you soon, bye-bye.